The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And I will find rest and peace in his blood. And we will be saved. I'm so thankful for a man that even in the middle of his own trials was able to find rest in the gospel. And then pass that on to future generations. Matthew chapter 16, we'll be reading verses 13 down to verse 28. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the, kings, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. We'll spend our time together in Matthew chapter 16 this morning. Jesus told a story about a guy, I think, I'm going to fill in a couple of the blanks here because his version is a lot shorter than mine on this one. Uh, Jesus tells a story about a guy that was taking a shortcut through a field. I think maybe he was on his way home from the market. The sun was beating down on his head. And as this guy is walking home, I can just imagine, just even within our own setting, there's a field at a corner, and as the man is walking to his house, he's walking, and he just sees that, my goodness, to go all the way around the field and come back is going to take way too long, 
And so he decides to take a shortcut through the field. How many of us have ever done that, right? Take a shortcut through the field. And you can even see where how many people have taken a shortcut. Maybe they even fenced off that property at some point to keep people from taking a shortcut, but you know how we are. Down goes the fence and still the shortcut continues on. This guy, I can just imagine, maybe he's a little bit elderly and he's got a stick with him and he's walking and he's making his way through this field away on his way to his house. And as he's walking, the sun's beating down on his head. He doesn't have anywhere to go in a hurry. He's just going to the house. And I can just imagine he puts one foot in front of another and he puts another foot in front of the other and it's just a part of his journey home. And there, in the middle of the field, as he's on his way to the house, his stick hits something that's different. You can just imagine, he's, this, how many times has he walked through this field? How many times has everybody else walked through this field? And he walks through the field, and this time, funk. Hey, wait a minute. Like, that would stop you in your tracks, right? Wait a minute, something's going on here. And he takes his little stick, and he walks back one second, and funk, funk. Think, think, think. Thunk, thunk. <laughs> and he realizes there's something under the ground. Now, in that moment, I can just imagine as he looks around to see, is anybody looking? I can just imagine maybe, perhaps, the grass is really tall. Nobody can see him from the roadside. And there he is in the middle of this field, and there's nobody around, and he wants to know, what is the thunk, thunk for? Maybe he takes his little stick and maybe he uses it to pry around in the dirt. And there he pries it around and he realizes there's a box down here. It's a box and what is in the box? Maybe he gets really excited and I can just imagine he looks around again. There's nobody. And then he gets down on his hands and knees with his stick. And he starts digging around the box. And he looks inside the box. And my goodness, inside of the box is a treasure. Inside the box, I don't know, maybe it's gold bars. There's something precious inside the box. So you know what he does? He doesn't act like a normal human being. The normal human being takes it all out and sticks it in his pockets and runs away, right? Now this is an honest guy. This is an honest guy. He's not going to just take it. He covers the treasure back up. Maybe he goes and gets some old leaves and branches and covers it all up. And then he finds out who owns this field. Because the guy that owns this field also owns the treasure, but obviously he doesn't know he owns the treasure. And so that man runs to that guy's house, says, I hear you're selling that corner field. I want to buy that corner field. How much are you asking? Then who cares how much the guy's asking? Maybe that man wants to sell it off and get rid of it in a hurry. And yet the guy, the old man that took his journey and thunk, thunk in the middle of the field realizes, I don't have enough money to pay for that field. So you know what the, man, the old man does? He goes back to the house and he sells everything. I think maybe he quietly told his wife, hey, honey, we're going to have to sell everything because there's something in the field. I, I, he's got to sell his wife on this, right? This isn't you just, hey, honey, we're going to sell the car, we're going to sell the house, we're going to sell the children, we're going to sell everything, right? He's going to sell it all off, and he's going to accumulate all that stuff so that, for one reason, so he could go back and buy the field. Why? Because in the field, he doesn't care about the land. He doesn't care about the shortcut. All he cares about is the treasure that's in the field. Jesus made the statement like this. Here's what he said. Jesus says, Matthew 13, verse 44, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. 
The which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy, I want you to get those words, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he has and buys that field. Here's the phrase. Jesus said, that man sold everything he had with joy because he knew what he was getting was better than what he had. You will find, brothers and sisters, you will find real joy. When you learn that releasing these temporary treasures of today, you release these temporary treasures to gain the greatest treasure, you'll find real joy. So here's the man in the field, he lets it go. Just like you and I, we have these temporary treasures. I'm sure the day before he walked through the field, that man probably liked his house and his car and maybe his kids. But he was willing to part, I'm just kidding about the selling the kids, and he was willing to part with all of those things that he considered treasures because he realized there was a greater treasure. And brothers and sisters, when you and I realize that there is a greater treasure to be gained, suddenly those temporary treasures of life can fall through our hands. Uh, let me quote here, John, uh, sorry, Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was that missionary martyr that died on the Palm Beach in Ecuador in 1956 trying to take the gospel to an untouched people group called the Waurani. Here's what Jim Elliott said. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. These things of our, that we hold dear to ourselves now, we will not hold them forever. Do evaluate those things that you treasure now. Think in terms of 100 years from now, what value will this hold? Or 1,000 years from now, what value will this hold? And here's Jim's words, let go of these so that I can gain that one that I will never lose. Jesus made this statement, he said, Many times Jesus spoke about where we put our treasure. Here's one of the things he said. This was Matthew 6 and verse 21. He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you see this old man as he's walking through the field? Before his stick went thump for the first time, his treasure was at the house. And as soon as he hit thump, his treasure was in the ground. And now his heart went to that treasure. See, where your treasure is, there's where your heart's going to go. So then I might ask a follow-up question, where is your treasure? And Jesus, in the same passage, this is Matthew 6, 21, in 6, 24, Jesus makes another statement you and I would be familiar with. This is Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, the literal meaning of mammon is money. You cannot serve God and money. It's impossible. Notice the word he used. You cannot. Not, it's very hard to. He said you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot split your affection. And how many times I hear people say to me things like, but pastor, don't you know I have a physical side and I have a spiritual side. Can I tell you that that is flat wrong. It's a lie from Satan. You don't have a physical side and a spiritual side. You are one whole person. And the one will affect the other and the other will affect the other. You don't get to split them and say, well, Sunday I come to church and that's my spiritual side, but Monday through Saturday I do my life and that's my physical side. No, your physical side and your spiritual side combine to make who you are. And so either you will serve God or you will serve money. Now let me flesh that out. 
You say, but no, I, I do both. I do the one Monday to Saturday so that I can eat and take care of my family. And I do the other one on Sunday I come in. But let me help you with where your God lies. So if money is your God, follow this. If money is your God, there's a great big caution in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. Here's what that verse says. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You follow that, what the scriptures say? If money is your God, you will err from the faith and pierce yourself through with many sorrows. There will be problems in your life if you put money first. And what does that look like? It looks like this. I get up on Monday and I go to work and while I'm at work, I'm going to do everything I can to achieve financial status and make things work in my life. And I do it on Tuesday and I do it on Wednesday and do it on Thursday and do it on Friday. And when it comes to Saturday, instead of spending time with the family, I'm trying to figure out more ways to get more of my God. And then, Sunday, I might come and worship Jesus, or I might just go ahead and continue on with worshiping my God. Or, I might come to church on Sunday and sit through it begrudgingly, trying to, and the whole time my mind is back on my God. Or, the other way. He said, you'll love the one and hate the other, or you'll hold to the one and despise the other. The opposite way is, God is my God, and I will use mammon to serve my God. In other words, on Sunday I come and I worship and I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. And then Monday morning I get up and I still love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. And it just so happens that my body doesn't go to church but instead goes to work. And while I'm at work, you know what I'm doing? I'm doing everything I can to get my old God to serve my new God. And so I'm going to go to work and I'm going to flesh it out. and I'm going to talk to other people about how great my God is instead of how great their God is. And I'm going to do that from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit around with my family and I'm going to enjoy time with my family because this is a gift from my God, not a distraction from my old God. And then I'm going to come into church on Sunday and I'm going to use, physically use my old God to serve my new God. You follow me here? You don't get to say I have a physical side and a spiritual side. You are you! There's not two different sides here. So please, your heart will indicate your treasure. So if you want to do a heart checkup this morning, where is your God, where is your treasure, you'll find it in where's your heart. Jesus made that statement so clearly, and I hope this morning that Jesus is your treasure. I hope that Jesus is your treasure. Let's come into Matthew 16. We're going to walk through a passage here, and Jesus is going to talk to us about our treasure and who He is. And again, I hope that Jesus is your, is your treasure. Look at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. says, Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? The coast of Caesarea Philippi sits at the headwaters of the River Jordan. So the base of Mount Hermon is a beautiful area. Jesus takes His disciples there. This same story is recorded also in Mark chapter 8 and Luke chapter 9. And all of the details that we look at today are recorded in all three of those Gospels. So one of those things, if you're a Bible student, one of the things that that teaches me is that this is not random actions that just happen to come in. Sometimes you get that in the Gospels where this one comes in and that one comes in and they're not chronological. However, the three Gospels outline these chronologically so that tells me there's a flow of thought that's going on here and it happens in three of the Gospels. 
So here they are at Caesarea Philippi, and they're at this place that used to be the place that the Canaanites would worship, Baal and Ashtaroth. It was a wicked place to start off with. Now Jesus goes there with his disciples, and this is a turning point in his ministry. Everything prior to this was Jesus doing miracles. And you might remember feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing the lepers. This is Jesus doing the miraculous. And the masses of people just followed after Jesus. From this point, His ministry changes. After this, He's headed to the cross and the Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to take Him out. It's in this point, in this passage, that Jesus reveals that to His disciples. We've not got it recorded prior to this. Matthew 16 is the first time that we see Jesus making a statement like, I'm headed to the cross, but I will rise again after three days. Now He reveals that to His disciples. In fact, it's such a shock that Peter says, No, Lord, you can't do that. And Jesus makes that famous statement, Get behind me, Satan. This is a turning point in Jesus' ministry. Now notice this question... In verse 13, as he comes into the fact that he's headed to the cross, he asks this question of the disciples. And remember, he's all-knowing, so when he asks the question, he already knows the answer. Look at verse 13. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? It's a simple question, and it's one that Jesus already knew the answer for. He knows the mind of men, and many times in the Gospels it said that Jesus would make a statement and He knew what the people were thinking, and then He addressed them according to what they thought. Not what they had said, but He knew what they thought, and so He would address that. Jesus asked this question, He already knows the answer, but I think this is a perfect moment for Him to teach His disciples. So He asked the question, Whom do men, outsiders, say that I am? That almost sounds, too, like it's a bit of a proud statement. Could you imagine sitting around with your friend, and your friend says, Hey, what are people saying about me? That seems like quite a proud statement. But remember, he's God. And he's allowed to say these things because when he says these things, he's causing his disciples to think. This is not him being proud. He says, What do people say about me? And they respond. Next verse, verse 14. And they said, this is the disciples speaking, they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elias, that's Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So they give a response. Perhaps some people are saying you're Jeremiah, or some saying you're Elijah. Maybe some are even saying you're John the Baptist. Maybe you're just one of the Old Testament prophets. And I want you to think of how ludicrous, how ridiculous a statement that could be. The very fact that a lot of the people that were there at that time would have seen John and Jesus stand together at the River Jordan and John baptized Jesus. So for you to say one is the other, I don't know, maybe they're claiming this is a hologram or something silly like that. These guys have to go to great lengths to go, he's not Jesus. And some would say, oh, he's Elijah, or maybe he's from Jeremiah, or one of the Old Testament prophets. Remember one of the things that Jesus said, this was Luke chapter 16, he made this statement, he said, even if one of the prophets raised again from the dead, you still wouldn't believe. And so even if this Jesus is one of the prophets that's been raised again from the dead, they're still not going to trust him. And so some people will go to great lengths to reject that Jesus Christ is God. Now watch verse 15, and Jesus is going to bring this very personal. Here we go, verse number 15. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Again, he's omniscient. He knows all things. 
He knows what their thoughts are, but this is a teaching moment for them to reveal it. And sometimes it takes us saying something to realize what we believe. And here's Jesus saying, Boys, I've now heard what everybody else says. How about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter's going to answer it. Verse number 16. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And by the way, he got the answer right. He got the right answer. This is the Christ. Jesus is not just a model that we should follow. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is not just some man that went before to tell us not to tell lies. No, He is the Lord of Lords. And He is the King of Kings. And He is the Messiah. And He is the Son of God. He is not some mentor that came before us 2,000 years ago. And He is not a tale that gets in the way of our old God. He is our treasurer. Peter gets it right. He says, Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And by the way, this is not the only time that we find out who Jesus is. The devils had it figured out when Jesus walked onto the scene. You might remember in Luke chapter 4, this is one of Jesus' first recorded miracles in Luke, as Jesus comes into the synagogue, and when He comes into the synagogue, there was a man who had a demon in him, and the demon cried out and asked for mercy as Jesus walked in. Another time, Jesus came into the shore of the Gergesenes. There was a man who was there who had something like 2,000 devils inside of him. And Jesus walks onto the shore and the devils that were inside of the man said, please don't give us a hard time. And they begged to be tossed into the pigs. You remember that story? In Luke chapter 4 and verse 41 it says, the devils came out of many and they were crying out and saying, thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them suffered them not to speak for they knew he was the Christ. And so here we have even the demons recognized him. So Peter's recognizing him and the demons are recognizing him. And you might remember God the Father recognized him publicly. Yes, the Father knew him and the Father spoke to humanity to tell Jesus, or tell them who Jesus is. And that, that happened when Jesus got baptized. Mentioned John baptizing Jesus and in the scriptures say that as Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended down upon him as a dove and the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You might remember that from Matthew 3. A voice came from heaven. That's God the Father speaking. Now, I don't know, but perhaps maybe you're just used to that story, and maybe in Sunday school you saw a picture of Jesus in his white robe and a purple or a blue stripe, and he looked like a white guy, and he was coming up out of the water. You might remember that picture, right? And there's a dove coming down, and it seems so tame. But I want you to think for just a minute how big an event that was as Jesus Christ went through everything that every man is supposed to go through. And he himself got baptized, having done no sin. And as he's coming up out of the water, the Father sent the Holy Spirit down as a sign so that all men would know it. And then remember that the Father took a break from receiving praise to give praise. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but for the eons of the eons, for all time... At the heavenly throne, there is God the Father, and all around Him are the seraphim and angels, millions of angels who cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they bow before Him all the time. And God the Father said, hang on a second, there's something really important going on down on the earth. You boys hush up for just a minute. i got something I need to say. And then He pulled back, as it were, the curtains of heaven and said, That one's My Son. He is not just a model that you follow. He should be the treasure of your heart. And here's 
The Father even saying, yes, this one is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's not Elijah. He's not John the Baptist. He's not Jeremiah. He's not any other prophet. Buddha doesn't hold a candle to him. Muhammad can't stand beside him. His name is above every name. He's the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. He's the lily of the valley and the brightest morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the great I Am. He's the spotless Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the Creator and the Sustainer. He's the Justifier and the Redeemer. Friend, He should be the treasure of your soul. I hope that Satan hasn't duped you into thinking that some kinas and some toyas, some notes and some coins should ever take the place of the greatest treasure of your soul. Oh, let go of those little things and gain the greatest treasure. And in this moment, in the story, as Peter says, you are the Christ. He pinpoints Him as the Messiah. In that moment, a mere human being would have said, hang on, I don't deserve those accolades. But He's no mere human being. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now watch what He says in verse 17 and 18. He's going to put a spin on this that if you were just reading this and you'd never heard it before, I don't think you would have expected. Here comes the spin. Verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So, Simon, you got the question right. You know who I am, but you didn't learn that from anybody here. Human beings did not teach you that I am the Son of the living God. So only the Father can reveal that to you. And that is a beautiful answer that can take a whole sermon in itself. The fact that the Heavenly Father opens our eyes to understand who the Lord Jesus is. For the natural man cannot receive spiritual things. The carnal man will not receive the things of God. But instead, God opens up our eyes to be able to see who Jesus is. And then He takes it another step, and here He goes. In verse number 18, I say unto thee, that thou art Peter. You're just a little pebble, Peter. But upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is this rock? This rock is the fact that He is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the foundation upon which He will build His church. The Father reveals, but then He builds His church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, I love the picture there. Because they're at Caesarea Philippi, and historically that could have been called the gates of hell. Because there was so much demonic and activity and false gods that were worshipped in that area. As you leave out of Caesarea Philippi and go out into the Gentile nations, you would find, as it were, the gates of hell. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter what Satan has to throw against the church, I will build my church on the fact that I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And by the way, I need to do one thing before I can build the church, and that is, I need to go to the cross. You can see it in verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. And I already mentioned it, it's worth saying again, three Gospels, Matthew 16, Mark 8, Luke 9, all three Gospels have these things recorded together. I build my church and I do it from the cross. 
I do what man says is shameful, and I go down in order to go up. And here Jesus says and promises that He will build His church, and He has built His church for the last 2,000 years in a miraculous, phenomenal way. And all throughout church history, every time the church gets persecuted, it grows. There's no other entity on earth that does that. By the way, try keeping any entity on earth going for 2,000 years. And then on top of it, he says, in order to go up, you go down. And so I go to the cross in order to build my church. And I build it on the foundation that I am the Son of God, the living God. Jesus built His church and He did it in a phenomenal way and He continues to do it to this day. And He has done it as I look back on the history of our church, our little church. I look back on the history of our church and see God has built our church in phenomenal ways. Who would have ever thought throw a pandemic and we'd have to go to two or three overflow classrooms. My goodness, as I look back on the history of our little church, God is doing a million things that we cannot even see and we don't even know. He's doing it in our midst and He's doing it all around the world as He grows His church and it's been a thrill to be watching as He grows our church. He promised that He would grow His church and He promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So instead of sitting around and talking about all the bad things that are happening in life, isn't it a blessing to know that our Heavenly Father sent His Son to go to the cross so that He could redeem us to Himself and that He would build His church and He promised that He would do it. I might just highlight, since it's I Love My Church Sunday, I might just highlight some of the history of our own church. So Capital City Baptist Church met for the very first time on the 15th of February, 2015. That was the very first time. For about five weeks leading up to that first Sunday, myself and Becky, you guys might remember Pastor Tyler and his wife, Abby, the four of us blitzed this city. And we gave out those little connection cards. We still use those connection cards today. Those little cards, we gave out those cards to anybody that would take them, and we told them about a church that didn't even exist yet. We told them it's the most exciting boisterous, growing church, and there was a zero. We hadn't even started for the first service yet. We told them first service is on the 15th of February, and we kept inviting people and inviting people. And on the first Sunday, 15th of February, 2015, we met up on the hillside in my house. Now, it wasn't quite my house yet. It looked more like a prison. It was just cement block walls, cement floor. Let me ask, how many of you came during our time in the prison? How many people visited during that time? There's a handful of you. By the way, that first Sunday morning, that first Sunday morning, a funny thing happened. This, I've never had it happen again. Funny thing happened on that Sunday morning. Sorry, one, one of the local villages, uh, there was somebody that died in that, lo- in that village, and that village decided they weren't going to have church that Sunday. So that gave us a whole bunch of people that could come to church on our very first Sunday. We had 93 people show up for our first Sunday. 93 people walked in, all of them from the same family in the same village, and they all, said, all told me the same story. Uh, it, it, go, it was twofold. One, one part of the story was uh, we had somebody die, and that's why we came. I said, oh, well, praise the Lord. I'm not going to pray for that to happen every week. Uh, but, and the second thing they told me was, I'm ground blue me fly. <laughs> okay, nice. Thank you for coming to church. <laughs> but, but here's a, one of my favorite things from day number one, the very first Sunday that we ever met, was a guy named Eric Bala walked through the doors. It was the very first time I ever got to meet a guy that ended up becoming one of my best friends in the whole world. And from there, we watch as God grows church. We continued to meet in there. It was a couple of weeks later, just a couple of weeks later, the, you know, there wasn't people dying in the village every week, so those people went away. 
We were maybe three or four weeks into it, and we got all the way down to our bottom number. That was population seven. There were seven of us that were meeting at that time, and I remember over the weeks as we'd invite people, and we'd have one person, one family would come, and then another time a different family would come. And I remember many times sitting back on a Saturday afternoon, getting ready for Sunday service, and I would think to myself, if everybody comes, we're going to have 25 people. <laughs> Look at what God's done. Sometime August, praise God. Sometime in August of 2015, we moved from the prison down to here. At that point, we had the, the building was stood up, but there were no walls, no windows, just a roof. We threw a piece of gyprock on that wall over there, used a donated projector and shot the screen on that wall, and we held service in here. Let me ask, how many of you remember those days? Oh, that's a bigger number now. And we would face that, and then we put the walls on and these useless windows. It was hot as blazes in here. Uh, and we got to watch as God grew us. And then in November of 2015, we had our first charter, we had our charter, charter service. By that time, I think we turned the church service around, and about 25 of us signed as opening start, charter members of Capital City Baptist Church. And from that time until this, we've continued to set up for classrooms and tear down for church. And we've done that about 250 times we've tore down this building and set it back up. And those of us that move these walls know what that's like. During the years that passed from 2015 until now, we've added multiple services. We've added life groups. We've had chaplaincy program at Port Moresby General Hospital and at the LNG plant. We've done discipleship programs wherein we've discipled many of you. And then even you have gone and discipled other people. We've taken on or we've sent out missionary Konos and Miss Daisy as our missionary from our midst out to Anita. And we've taken on, last year took on missionary Bobby Kipoy in Indonesia and uh, Pastor, uh, Brother Peter Kuroi in Vanuatu. Normally, without COVID, we hold our Friday night Bible study for youth here. And that's many of you that are involved in running that. And then the annual youth camp. I think of the way that God is blessed and through our church has so many young people have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I look down through the years and I remember the first youth camp that was Dan came from the States. Dan Brooks came from the States and my brother Nate was the speaker that week. And then we had Pastor Tate Thronson came one year. Had Matt Collier come another year, and then we had the, the well-beloved Kwame Selvers came in 2019, and we've watched God just do an amazing thing through the young people as we've seen young people get saved. And then, of course, the Christian school, the ministry of the Christian school through our church, eight students in 2016 to 127 students currently. So we watch God do His work, and then every single year in the Christian school, we see many young people put their trust in Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. Young people putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then as an overflow of that, as we see families that come to know the Lord Jesus, those families come to be a part of our church. Some of you as a part of that. And I have to say, I look at this, and today as we take up an offering at the end of this service, I love my church offering. I can only look forward to what God's going to do. Guys, we've got to raise, in order to build this building, we've got to raise one million kina. That seems like an astronomical amount, but friend, I can only trust the Lord to do what He has said He would do. He would build His church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And I don't know, but I can't help but think that this might be a history for us.
I don't know of very many churches that say Jesus Christ is going to build His church so much that we're going to put the faith of, we're going to raise a million kina to do it. i got to say, that's unbelievable as I watch and see God put pieces together. And even more unbelievable, because money is fleeting, but lives last a whole lifetime. As I watch God raise up, lives that are completely changed in our church. And I pray and look forward to the day when God raises up lives, more lives out of our church and sends them abroad. Friend, you say, what are we going to do? We move into the new building. I think the new building, easy, is going to seat 250. That's easy. We're going to seat 250 people and you just add on to that what's going on with children's church. And you think, well, man, we're going to fill that up, and then what are we going to do? I'll tell you what, before we go building another building after that one, I'll just give you a projection of what I'm dreaming. I'm praying that not we go building bigger barns because Jesus called that foolish. Instead, I'm praying that God would allow us to go and start another church. Maybe we send some folks out of our church to go start another church somewhere else. You see, His dream or His calling is magnificent. And it's a privilege to do it. And if a little church on the outskirts of Port Moresby can raise a million kina, oh, imagine what God can do through our lives as we turn our lives over to Him. And many of you would remember that it has not all been easy. My goodness. You might remember the old bus one and the old bus two. How many of you remember the old bus one and old bus two? My goodness, we're all the way through to the new bus one and new bus two. We're now old. But the old bus one and the old bus two, those were the only two vehicles we had back at that time. And you might remember the old bus one, the windows didn't open and the aircon didn't work. We'd have 28 people in that 15-seater bus. They pull up here and drop off. And I remember times when 715, 720, the Bus one would pull up and drop people off. 28 people would get out of that bus and come into a building that didn't have air conditioning and the windows didn't work. And, and we would sit here and sweat it out from 7.30 until 9 o'clock while that old bus went, went back into town and filled up another 28 people and came back and started at 9 o'clock. You see, it hasn't always been easy, but my goodness, those are the things that God's used to bond us as a church. He's grown us together. And I think of the day that there were three 10-seaters that were out here from the mobile squad delivering a 21-day eviction notice. It hasn't always been easy. But God's always been faithful. And you and I remember the many different house cries that we've all attended together. And I think of even this morning, another loss from the midst of our body. You see, it's not always been easy, and Jesus never promised an easy road. In fact, look down at verse 24 as Jesus continues to teach. Here's what Jesus said in verse number 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. That's the kind of calling, brothers and sisters. Please don't think that it's going to be a road paved with gold in order to follow Jesus. He said, you want to follow me? Grab a cross. Another place he said it like this, if they treat me this way, don't expect them to treat you differently. Therefore, grab a cross and follow him. The Calvary road, the road to follow Jesus is going to be a hard road and it will be filled with potholes and you will have to carry a cross. But my goodness, the crown that's at the end of the road is worth it. I can let go of temporary treasures so that I can gain the greater treasure. Look at verse 25. Whosoever will, leave, uh, will save his life shall lose it. 
Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited, verse 26, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? If you follow Jesus, it will be costly. You will use mammon, your old God, to serve your new God. And you will show what is temporary and what is eternal. And you will let go of temporary treasures in order to gain the eternal treasure. Because if you love money, there's nothing left but a lost soul. See it in verse 26. These are very poignant words that he makes. What is a man profited? We think of profit in terms of gathering money. What is a man profited, he says, if he should gain the whole world? If you become Bill Gates and Elon Musk and Warren Buffett all rolled into one, you get it all. What good does it do you if you lost your soul? What will you give in exchange for your soul? So don't let this one be your God. Gain the greater treasure by letting go of this one. You look at the lives of those famous people You watch their lives and they post things on social media, beautiful pictures at great places, nice sunsets and nice people. And when you talk to them at their heart, what do they say about the core? They say, I'm so lonely. You know why they're lonely? Because they know that everybody that comes close to them only wants a piece of that pie. And so they don't have real friends. They've never found the real treasure They think that by hoarding this temporary treasure, they will find joy. And Jesus says, no, you'll find joy by letting go of that one and seeking the greater treasure. That's where the joy is to be found. King Solomon said it like this, Solomon was the wisest man to ever live, richest man to ever live. And here's what Solomon said, vanity of vanities, it's all vanity. Let it go. He walks through in the book of Ecclesiastes and he talks about all the things he gathered. My goodness, the guy had so much money that he built forests. If you're going to build a forest, you're wasting a lot of money. You let forests grow, you don't build them. He built them. And then he built waterways to supply water to the forest. That's a massive amount of money. And he says, vanity of vanities had everything I ever wanted. He said, there's only one thing that you'll ever find satisfaction in. And he, fi- he finally brings that out in Ecclesiastes 12. He says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. That's where you'll find joy. Let go of these temporary treasures so that you can gain the greatest treasure. And you'll remember Jesus' words. The one who says, I'm going to build bigger barns. He calls him a fool. You see, there are greater things, greater treasure to be gained. And that is Jesus. Take up your cross follow Him, you'll gain a greater treasure. I wonder who you say Jesus is today. Would you say that He's your greatest treasure? I wonder if you would say Jesus is your greatest treasure. Whom say you that Jesus is? As we wrap things up this morning, I want to bring us to a conclusion, and here's a, here's a conclusion. Around here at Capital City Baptist Church, we have a purpose statement. I'll start it, and maybe you remember the rest of it. We exist to glorify God by knowing Christ and making Him known. Let me say it one more time. We exist to glorify God by knowing Christ and making Him known. You see, knowing Christ, greatest treasure I can ever have. Making Him known, I'm glorifying God because I'm telling everybody else about what my greatest treasure is. And so I wonder, 
Whom say ye that Jesus is? Father, we absolutely love the church that you've built. So thankful that you've given us people like this church body to come together. Oh Lord, I'm so thankful that you would give us a church. You said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, and so we're going to trust you for that, Lord. Oh, Satan would love nothing better than to put a stop to your work. And so, Lord, I pray, even now as we move into a building project, God, I pray that you would put a stop to Satan. Lord, I pray that you would build your church so much more than just a building. God, I pray that you would continue to build up lives to find Jesus Christ as their greatest treasure who would let goods and kindred go, even this mortal life also, so that we could gain the greatest treasure, which is Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace upon our lives. May your name be glorified in all we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 7009-1000. Again, it's 7009-1000.